we begin a new series today just entitled Beyond Our Borders. And as we begin, we want to consider how we as individuals and a church can have an impact on our neighbors and how we can have an impact on the nations. And what we want to look at, you know, over the next four weeks is how can we take the gospel to the unreached communities and beyond? Because as a church and as a people, God has called us to advance the gospel. He's called us to push back the darkness in the world in which we live. And that's not just a calling for the church. It's a calling for us as disciples of Jesus Christ. In fact, I mentioned last week that um, uh, the church is a movement and movements move. And you're not, if you're not part of the movement, you're not what? You're not moving, right? And what we've often said around here is that the moment of salvation, when Jesus calls you uh, and, and he saves you, he simultaneously calls you into the mission of God. And so God has called all of us to be followers of Christ, and he's also called us to declare his grace to those around us. And so what we're saying is this. We were not just saved from something, we were saved for something, right? You weren't just saved from your sin, you were saved to serve a risen king. And so um, Peyton Jones says it this way, and I love it, because listen, I I sat uh, Thursday and Friday um, uh, with the North American Mission Board, and we were um, assessing church planners, 12 different church planners and their wives, that will be planting churches all over the Chicagoland area and throughout the Midwest. And one of the statistics that came out was that uh, every year there's 5,000 churches that are started every year in in the United States. 5,000. That sounds like a lot, right? But 4,000 churches close their door every single year. Not only that, but 80% of churches are either plateaued or they're declining. They're not growing. They're not reaching lost people with the message of the gospel. In fact, most churches, what they do is they trade sheep. So when people get ticked at one church, they just kind of mosey on down the road and they go to the next church. And so we as a church, like if you come here from another congregation, we celebrate that and we are thankful that you came and we trust that uh, you can align uh, with our mission and which God has called us to reach those that are far from God and those who have been forgotten with the message of the gospel. However, our mission, the reason that we exist as a church is to reach those that are far from God and those that are forgotten who've never heard the name of Jesus Christ. All of God's people said, that's why we're here. We're not here to be an audience. We're here as as an army of disciples who are to tell others about Jesus Christ. Peyton Jones wrote this. He said, the church that does not evangelize will fossilize. But God always has a plan. And the process begins again as a new movement expands the borders of the kingdom further than before as a new wave. I love this, right? As a new wave of risk takers steps up and steps out. And I just want to know this morning, who's ready to step up and step out to advance the message of the gospel? Amen? This is what God has called us to do. Some of you are going to miss out. I believe this. I believe this as a conviction. Some of you are going to miss out on the best parts of your spiritual journey because of a simple lack of obedience to God. The reality is, is if you know Christ is your Savior and you're a follower of Jesus this morning, God hasn't just called you into salvation so that you can uh, get your fire insurance. No, my friend, 
God has called you on a spiritual journey that is unlike anything you've ever known, and that includes introducing people to the greatest person that ever lived, and his name was Jesus Christ. He's the one who redeems and restores and renews. And so this morning, you might jot this down, your unbelief, your unbelief, your, 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 your unwillingness, if you will, to take a risk will ruin the purpose for which God created you. Your unbelief will ruin the purpose for which God created, the, the, the reason that God saved you and redeemed you and called you out. And so this morning, as we look at our text, the big idea is this, is that a life blessed by God, a life blessed by God will go beyond the borders to proclaim the gospel. Now, Malachi 1 teaches us that God blesses his people to be a witness of his grace. Now, many of you, when, I, when we open the book of Malachi, I know that's kind of strange, right? To think that in the Old Testament, there was this concept of missions. That there was this concept that God was trying to get the gospel to other nations and to other people other than the nation of Israel. But my friends, we are a missionary people because our God is a missionary God. And what we find that in every situation from Genesis to Revelation, we, got, we see, if you will, God stepping into the brokenness of man so that mankind can be redeemed by the good news of the gospel. We see that with Adam and Eve. In the Old Testament, you see the story of Jonah. Jonah preaches the shortest message ever recorded in the word of God. 40 days and you will die. Isn't that a great way to build a church? 40 days and you're going to die, right? And he went to the Ninevites. In fact, he didn't want to go. He disobeyed God. He got eaten by a well, kind of hung out in the belly of the well for three days. Finally, he repented. The well spits him out, like, you know, throws him up on the shore. He finally obeys God begrudgingly, right? He walks into the city, a city that had ransacked, raped, and pillaged the nation of Israel. And he knew that if he went and proclaimed the gospel to those people, God would save them. You know why? Because Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, unto the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Hey man, listen, when we proclaim the gospel, there are no bounds to which God cannot save those that are far from God. No bounds. And so Malachi teaches us that God blesses his people to be a witness of his grace. And so the gospel isn't just a New Testament thing. It goes all the way back to Genesis. Now, it may seem strange this morning to think of this text as a missions passage, but from the very beginning, God's people, God's people, from the very beginning, were called to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. They were called to be ambassadors for God, and yet over and over again, they chose to forsake God worship other idols, and to choose apathy and indifference to the blessing of God and to the calling of God on their life. John Piper wrote in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, he says this. Please note this this morning. He says, missions exists because worship doesn't. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Now here, let me explain to you what that means. It means this. People worship, okay? Every single person that you know, every single person that you interact with, they are a worshiper. Everybody 
worships something. They just don't worship God. My neighbors, not any one in particular, but my neighbors, the the people that I live around, that's my mission field to some degree. My neighbors, you know what they worship? They worship their bank account. My neighbors, they worship their comfort. They worship their their boat and their jet skis, and they they worship their long weekends, and they they worship their vacations, and they they worship their status. And they build a life, and they build a kingdom, if you will, unto themselves. They worship. They worship their kids. My friends, this is modern-day idolatry. They don't have idols in their house built up uh, under uh, under the gods uh, of the Old Testament. No, no, no. They have their own idols that they have constructed in their hearts that they are pursuing and placing value on because it gives them identity and worth in this world. But my friends, those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior understand and recognize that our worth and our value and our identity, all of it is wrapped up in who God says we are in Christ Jesus. He alone is the one that we worship. And he is the one that we tell our neighbors about. And he is the one that we tell the nations about. He is the one who alone is to be worshipped at the exclusion of every other God that this world might offer as a substitute. And so this is what is happening in Malachi's day. In Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, we see this happening in the lives of God's people. And I want you to understand this morning that there are people from Will County, the county that we live in, one of the fastest growing counties in the state of Illinois and in the United States. Before the recession happened, we were the ninth fastest growing county in the entire U.S. But there are people from Will County all the way to Beirut who do not worship God. And we, as God's people, we as Jackson Creek Fellowship Church are called, listen, we are called to worship the one who saves and restores. He alone. We are called to worship him. Malachi was a prophet in the Old Testament. The Bible says the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Basically, that was his sermon. He says, let the word... The word, uh, the name Malachi means burdened. Here was a man burdened by God with a word from God for the people of God. Malachi was a prophet in the Old Testament who had to remind God's people that Yahweh, now look, he says, the, the oracle of the word of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Anytime that you see uh, the name Lord capitalized in the Bible, we know that's his proper name. That's, in fact, when the Old Testament writers would write the, 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 the pages of Scripture, whenever they wrote the name Lord, they would write it out, Yahweh. And they would write his name, and then, or before they would do that, they would wash their hands, and then they'd write his name because that is his proper name. He is the existing one. Friends, listen to me. He is the only one. He is the one who alone is to be worshipped. And he was Yahweh, the one who stepped into their brokenness, He was the one who saved them. But in Malachi's day, God's people had fallen into sin. They had forsaken God, and they began to worship idols. And Malachi, this man burdened by God with a word from God, 
gives them a word and he calls them. Listen, he's calling them back to God's plan. He's calling them back to God's purpose. Listen, this is who God is. This is what God has called you to be. This is why you would want to worship him. And instead, instead of fulfilling their calling, they'd become complacent. Friends, I want to tell you today, the reason that the gospel isn't being advanced to the nations beyond, the reason that the gospel isn't being advanced in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our high schools, in our universities, the reason that it's not being advanced is not because the gospel doesn't work. It's because the people of God have become complacent with who God is. They have become complacent and they have forsaken God and they have began to worship the idols of the surrounding nations and the surrounding neighbors in which they dwell with. And there are things in our lives that are far more important than the existing one, Yahweh, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the one of all the ages. So in many ways, if there is a deficiency in the church today, if there is a deficiency in your life, it likely foundationally goes back to what it is you and I worship. And guys, I want to tell you this morning, if you can't tell, I'm a little kind of geared up for this, right? Amen? Because we have an opportunity. We. We have an opportunity. Not me and Mike and John and Ben and our other pastors, not our staff. We have an opportunity. Because we have, like the children of Israel, like the church in the New Testament, we've been given the, the power and authority to bring hope to the hopeless, right? We've been given the power and authority to bring life to those who are dying. And I don't know of any greater calling in all the world than to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Nothing fires me up and fuels my passion for God more than seeing someone who was broken, made new by the sweetness of God's grace. So this morning, I want to challenge our church. Let's be on the offensive. Let's, be, let's not be on the defensive. Let's not be the church that's plateaued or declining, but the church that is multiplying disciples for the kingdom of God and for the sake of his glorious, wonderful, and powerful name. But yet, often, sadly and unfortunately, we fall in the pattern of God's children. We become apathetic to God, to a God, Yahweh who blesses us, as Ephesians 1 says, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. My friends, today so often we have this gospel amnesia and we forget the sweetness of God's grace and the goodness of God's mercy. And all we do, like the children of Israel, is complain about the difficulties in our life and we complain about the discouraging things going on around us and the things that we can't control rather than leaning into, knowing, and acknowledging how wonderful and good our great Savior and our God is to us. So like God's people in the Old Testament, we need to be reminded. In fact, we need to be reminded often. We need to be reminded of God's love, and we need to be reminded of God's purposes for our life. And so this morning, let's consider three declarations that should fuel our hearts. Three three declarations from this passage of Scripture that will fuel our hearts to proclaim His grace beyond the borders of Green Garden and Will County. Number one, we see in verses 2 through 4, a declaration of compassion. God declares His love for His people. He says, I've loved you. 
That, that, I just underlined that in my Bible this week, and I just I took a moment and let that resonate. Are you with me this morning? That God would even know my name. That God would even know my address. That God would even know the hairs on my head. That there is a God in heaven who is the existing one. He is the sovereign one. He is the king of the ages. He holds all authority and power. And he spoke the worlds into existence by the word of his mouth. And he knows my name. Man, he says, I loved you. And I've loved you, says the Lord. And the people of God say, but you say, how, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I've loved Jacob. But Esau I've hated, and I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. And if Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear it down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. God's people, you know what they were doing? They were complaining simply because they thought God had abandoned them. They thought that God had given up on them. And friends, I want to tell you this morning that in this passage of Scripture, what we find in this Scripture is God showing His love for His children through discipline. Now, friends, I want to tell you, you might jot this down if you're a parent today, love doesn't always let. Can I get an amen? If my kid comes to me and says, hey, can I eat this entire pack of Star Crunches, what do you think I'm going to say? No, because I'm going to eat them. Every single one of them. If I see my kid reaching out for a hot stove, what am I going to say to my kid? No, I'm not going to let my kid touch a hot stove. I'm not going to let my kid run out in traffic because I care way too much about them. And when my children begin to get off track, I discipline them, which means to disciple them, and I help them find their way back on the right path. And that is exactly what God was doing with his people. Now, he says, I have loved you. And the word loved used in this passage is a Hebrew word that indicates choice or election to a covenant relationship. God was saying, listen, I haven't abandoned you. I haven't given up on you. In fact, I will never, ever leave you. I will never, ever forsake you. I am with you all the way. In fact, he was reminding them because he brings up Jacob and Esau. Now, for some of you, you don't know Jacob and you don't know Esau. But in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, God made a promise to a guy by the name of Abraham. And he said to Abraham, Abraham was like 100 years old. He was old, right? That's old, amen? Like that's good morning America. You made it to 100, we're going to show you on TV kind of old, right? He was old. And God says, listen, you're going to have a child a year from now. Now his wife was in the tent. She heard God. She starts laughing, and God says, what are you laughing at? And she's like, well, I didn't laugh. Listen, God sees and knows all things. Wouldn't you know it, a year later, they had one child. His name was Isaac. And he said through Isaac, I'm going to bless you, and your blessing is going to be more in number than the stars in the heavens. And I will bless you. Listen to what he says. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to other people. And it wasn't long after that that God said, take your son Isaac up to this mountain. And I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to lay him on an altar. And I want you to sacrifice him for the sake of my name. And Abraham obediently began to make that track up the hill. I can imagine what that would be like to take my only child that God promised. And about the time that he laid it out, he was going to lay his son on the altar. And the Bible says as he raised the knife to take his son's life, God stopped him from doing what he was doing, and he gave us a picture of Jesus Christ. And what he did was he, there was a ram caught in the thicket. He says, use the ram. 
And friends, that's exactly what the picture is for you and me. Jesus stepped in our way and he took our place so that we could be redeemed and rescued and renewed and restored back to a right relationship with God. Now later on, Isaac had a son by the name of Esau and he was the firstborn. And in that uh, culture, the firstborn got most of the rights and the privileges and the inheritance. One day Esau comes in from hunting and he says to his brother Jacob, look, I'm hungry. Give me that porridge. And if you give me the porridge, I will give you my birthright. The birthright was the blessing, the blessing that God had promised to his grandfather Abraham. And so basically what Esau was doing was he was rejecting, listen to me, he was rejecting God's blessing. And his descendants in this text rose up against the people of Israel. And God had protected them. These are the people that he was talking about. He says, listen, I'm going to protect you from your enemies. They might build up, but I will tear them down. And over and over and over again, God is demonstrating to them his immense and his immeasurable love for those who obey his word. And that obedience begins the moment that we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we begin to follow him as followers of Jesus Christ. And God's love, listen, God's love is no greater demonstrated in any other situation than when he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to come to the cross 2,000 years ago and step in our place and pay for our sin so that we might be reconciled back to God. So we find in this passage of Scripture that, that, that basically God is declaring his love to his people. Listen, missions is this. Missions is this. It's the declaration of God's love to people. And it doesn't matter if they live across the street or around the world. God wants men and women, boys and girls, to know and be introduced to Jesus Christ. One of the passages that I love and uh, the word of God is this, Psalm 63, 3. It says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips, listen, my lips will praise you. Are you ready this morning to praise God? Are you ready to lift up his name? Because the Bible says that the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. In Romans chapter 8, 28, uh, or in Romans chapter 28, I think it's in 39. We got that up there. Thank you. Well, I pray this almost every day. I say, God. Thank you, thank you that you love me. Thank you that your love is better than life. And then I say to him, thank you that there is nothing, look at here, there is nothing that will separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And all of God's people said, isn't it good to know that you are loved and accepted by God? Now that doesn't mean that God lets you get away with your junk. God doesn't let you get away with your sin. God doesn't let us get away with our apathy and our indifference and our disobedience. In fact, it's an evidence of God's love when he disciplines his children, right? Amen? So don't be discouraged when God disciplines you. Now look, some of your kids up in this room, I'd like to discipline them, right? (laughs) Just saying. I'm not saying who, but some of them I like to just have them for a couple days. But for instance, I'm teasing. I love all these kids. But for instance, if someone just came up to you in a Walmart and grabbed your kid and started swatting your kid on the back of the rear, what would you do? You would lose your mind. You would call the police department. And you would, you would go all mama bear, right? Mamas, right? Phil's laughing because he knows Jackie would go all mama bear up on somebody. Because that's not their kid. You don't discipline someone else's child, but only God disciplines his children. And friends, that's how we know this morning that we are 
we're in the fold. We're one of his. And that's how the people of God knew that they were one of God's children. So God's compassion is best demonstrated through the cross. I like what Matt Chandler says in the explicit gospel. He says the cross of Christ is the response of God to men for belittling his name. The cross exists because mankind, loved by God, created by God, set in motion by God, betrayed God, and prefers stuff to him. So God's answer to our idolatry was Jesus on a cross. That's God's greatest demonstration of love. We see his love declared, but we also see the declaration of complacency. The people of God in this passage of Scripture, in spite of God's love for them, the reason, listen to me, the reason that Malachi was burdened, the reason that Malachi was calling them out was because of their apathy and their indifference and their pursuit of other gods. And he calls them out for their lack of love towards God because this is so important. Because when our love grows cold, so does our obedience. So, I want to say to you this morning, never let your complacency stand in the way of your calling because that's exactly what they were doing. They'd become complacent. They doubted God's love because of the difficulties in their life. And these difficulties were the disciplining for lack of obedience and faithfulness. The consequences meant that God allowed their cities to be ruined and ransacked. And yet, even though he allowed that, he reminds them that he would protect them in the future. Hey, listen, if anything is going on in your life right now that seems difficult, that seems discouraging, know this, nothing happens to you that doesn't happen to you outside the hand of a loving, sovereign God who loves you and knows you by name. God knows you. So I want to tell you this morning, because I think we can all get this way, but never doubt God's love when life gets difficult. Never doubt God's love. And listen, I'm going to tell you something today. I'm going to tell you straight up. When you start serving God, and you start walking in truth, and you start truly making disciples of Jesus Christ as you fulfill the calling of God on your life, know this, life will not be easy. It will be difficult. But in those difficulties, you'll experience the power of God's grace in a way unlike most people will ever have the opportunity to experience. I want to say this morning that for the people of God, their doubt and their confusion about what was happening to them caused them to question God's love for them. And that always, always leads to complacency. Warren Wiersbe said, every difficulty is an opportunity to demonstrate to others what the Lord can do for those who put his trust in him. I'm going to tell you, there's no more powerful of a testimony than to see someone who follows Jesus And in the midst of their following Christ, when their life seems to be spinning out of control, and then all of a sudden, instead of bailing on God, and instead of forsaking what they believe, they lean in to a greater dependence and a greater love and a greater worship, and their love is matured in that, and their testimony and their influence is magnified simply because of their faith in who God is. And that's what we're talking about this morning. In verse 1, it says the oracle of the word of the Lord. We're talking about the sovereign one, the existing one. God is a God who is able, and he is a God who we can trust and depend on. So listen, know this, 
When you start doubting God's love, you will miss out on God's direction. When you start doubting God's love, you will miss out on God's direction. The children of Israel in this passage of Scripture began missing out on some of the sweetest blessings that God had for their life, their calling, and their purpose, all because they doubted God's love. You see, when your worship of God is weak, your witness of God will also be weak. But we see this final declaration. The final declaration is this. It's a declaration of commission. Look in verse number 5. He says, your own eyes shall see this. You're going to see my love. You're going to see my protection. You're going to see how I put down your enemies. And you're going to see this. And the Bible says in verse 5, and your own eyes shall see this. And you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Now, another rendering of that is found in the New American Standard Bible, and it says it this way, your eyes shall see this, and you will say, the Lord be magnified beyond the border of Israel. Here's what he's saying in this passage of Scripture. Malachi reminded God's people of their calling. They were to live lives. Listen, they were to live lives that proclaimed God's goodness beyond the borders of Israel. Are you with me? They were supposed to live in such a way that the other nations knew that they were God's chosen people. They were God's uh, people that he had saved. He had rescued them out of the bondage of Egypt. They were the people on who the only God existed. And that, that acknowledgement and that praise that should have been coming from them would be a witness and a testimony beyond the borders of the nation of Israel. What's fascinating about this is that they never got things right with God. And what's crazy, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. So from Malachi to Matthew, for 400 years, there was not another prophet. There was not another word from God. For 400 years, God went silent until an angel showed up and said, hey, you're going to have a baby. His name is John the Baptist. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord. And it was shortly after that 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 another angel would show up to Mary and to Joseph and then would would commission them that, hey, you're going to have a baby and his name is going to be Jesus. His name is Jehovah saves. And he's going to redeem his people from their sins. And it would be Jesus that would go into the temple first to share the good news of the gospel to the Jews. And the Bible says he came into his own and his own received him not. And then, we're going to look at this next week. Then he just starts rolling from city to city, from place to place. He goes into Samaria, a bunch of half-breeds. The Jews were a very racist people, and they didn't want to have anything to do with the uh, Samaritans. Jesus rolls up into Samaria and sees a woman sitting by a well, a woman that no one would talk to, coming out in the heat of the day, the worst possible time that you could go and get water. Jesus walks up to her, and he begins telling her about the living water. The water that if she drinks from, she'll never thirst again. And friends, I want to tell you something. Your neighbors and your friends and your classmates and your your roommates, listen to me. They are thirsty for something to satisfy the emptiness of their soul. The Bible says that God has created and written eternity on our hearts. And until men and women and boys and girls understand that there is a Grand Canyon-sized void in their heart that can only be filled with the grace of Jesus Christ, they will never be satisfied and fulfilled in this life. Missions is when God's people praise. It's when we proclaim 
His power to restore the brokenness that we've made of our lives. The children of Israel had made a mess of their lives. And yet God is stepping into this passage once again. And if you see and know anything about uh, uh, church history and you know anything about the nation of Israel, what would happen in the Old Testament is they would, they would serve God and then things would go really well. And then they would fall back into unfaithfulness and they would pursue the gods of the other nations. Then God would send discipline into their life and he would send harshness and difficulty and then they would cry out to God. And God in his infinite mercy and his grace to his people would once again draw near to them and redeem them and save them and forgive them of their sins and then things would go good again. And over and over and over we see this repeated throughout church history and throughout the the history of the word of God. And friends, I would hope that as a church today, that wouldn't be the story of Jackson Creek Fellowship Church. That we wouldn't be a people that would be, when things are good, we forget about the goodness and the grace of God. Friends, I want to tell you something right now. As a church, we're experiencing something unlike most churches never have the opportunity to experience. This morning, and this is going to be a moment for a a time of, uh, of clapping and praising and shouting, but we're baptizing six adults today. Right? Some of you are flossing in the back. I don't know how that goes. We should dance and celebrate and praise his name. Because we get to be a part of the grand narrative of the Bible and of God's plan of Jesus coming into a world that is broken and bringing and reconciling men and women unto himself. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the call of God to his people was this. I will make you as a light to the nations that my salvation shall reach to the end of the earth. Friends, listen, we are not what we are supposed to be if we are not a light to other people that reaches to the ends of the earth. We're not. We're not the disciples of Jesus Christ that he has called us to be unless we were fulfilling the commission that he has called us into. This is what missions is supposed to be. We, as God's people, proclaim that Yahweh, Yahweh saves, God saves, and we proclaim his love and his power in our life. The reason that most of us are not proclaiming his love and his power and his grace in our life is because God isn't doing anything in our lives. We're okay with the status quo. We're okay with the mediocre. We're okay pursuing the same idols as our neighbors. We prop up our kids and we worship our kids and we prop up our bank account and our vacations and we prop, prop up popularity and we prop up, um, you know, a career success and the pursuit of those things at the expense of truly fulfilling our calling as disciples of Jesus Christ. Psalm 64 says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. In the New Testament, the people of God uh, uh, blessed is his church. The promises in the Old Testament were intended for the nation of Israel, but they disobeyed God. So now God has called the church, those of us who have been redeemed, those who have experienced his love and his transforming power in our lives. So the entire Bible from Old Testament to New is a narrative of how God is drawing those far from him under himself. And listen, the church doesn't need more programs. We don't. I'm not against programs, whether it's Awana or whatever it is, uh, a teen ministry, uh, who's your one? I'm not against programs, but listen, you're the program. You're the program. God has called you to go 
across the street to your neighbors and into your dorm room and into your campuses and into your schools and into your workplace and proclaim the goodness and the sweetness of God's redeeming grace. You are. And listen, you know what? That doesn't cost anything. It doesn't cost the church anything for you just to be a disciple of Jesus Christ that brings other people and introduces them to the one who can change their life forever. That's the program. That's what God has called us to do. And so this morning, as we kind of close out this message, I want to ask you today, have you lost your passion? Have you lost your passion for Jesus? And are you struggling with your purpose? Because the greater sin in this entire passage, it's about worship and it's about love. You know, the church in Revelation, there was a church in Revelation, the church at Ephesus. That would have been the happening church to go to. The elite went there. The affluent went there. They were a gifted church. And on the, on the outside, right, they looked like an amazing church. They probably would have been a mega church, right? But God says, look, you got it going on, but you don't love me. You don't love me. And that's the very problem that we find in the book of Malachi. And so listen, we can have a month of missions and we can give money and we can attend services and we can try to push back the darkness that is in this world. But if our love for Jesus has grown cold, we are wasting our time. Because if we haven't experienced his love, if we aren't experiencing his love, if we aren't feeling the fullness of that love to the degree that it fuels our passion to proclaim his name to our neighbors and to the nations, we are wasting our time. And so I ask you this morning, have you lost your passion for Jesus? Because when you do, you will struggle to be the disciple that God has called you to be. You will grow complacent and you will miss out on your calling. David Platt in his book, Radical, said every saved person, well, this is a conviction. Every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every person this side of heaven. We owe that. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And it is the love that God has for us that compels us to go beyond the borders of our, of our neighborhoods, of our, of our county. It, it, listen, it compels us to give generously. It compels us to dig deep into our wallets and to give up and to sacrifice and to take risks so that other people can know about the forgiveness that is offered in Jesus Christ. Dream about that for a minute. What would it be like for you to share your faith with a lost soul this coming year? What would it look like? Man, some of you in this room could move your family to another village and you could help plant a church. Billy and Amy did that this year. They're selling their home and they moved to Orlando to plant uh, a church in one of the fastest growing cities in the United States. Keenan and Jimmy, they left our church two years ago and Jimmy, for the first time, stood up in a church in Boca Raton, one of the campuses, and was proclaiming the grace of God to a county that has one million people and has 95% of that community that are unchurched and far from God. And I'm telling you this morning, God wants to call some other folks out of the church. He wants us to send some folks to the mission field. 
God wants to call some of you to the unreached people groups that, that fill this globe. There are 6,000 people, people groups in the world that have no access to the gospel. That means there's no word of God in their native tongue, many of which have never even heard the name of Jesus. And so we as God's people have been called to push back that darkness and go beyond the borders. For some of you, it might be to go across the street. It might be to plant a church. It might be to go to the mission field. For some of you, it might be that you need to give this year to missions so that others can go. And I'm telling you, our church is beginning to get a reputation. And that's a good thing. This past week, I was at the NAM assessment for all the church planters. And I had several folks come up to me and say, thank you for your church and your investment into missions. We got missionaries that call our church almost every week seeking out support so that they can go to the mission field and tell others about Jesus Christ. And we're getting that reputation not because you got dynamic leadership. God's people said, I'm just being honest. People say, hey, man, what's going on in your church right now? I was like, well, God's doing this and this and God's doing this. And I'm like, well, what are you doing? Like, I don't know, man. I'm just doing the same stuff I've been doing for 20 years. And all of a sudden, God's just like, all right, let's bless this thing. Right? God is blessing what what is happening here because of the obedience of God's people. God blesses faith. He blesses obedience. So tonight, as the pastors are asking you, like, hey, family night tonight, we need you here. We want you here. We're going to talk about missions tonight. Come. Bring your family. I don't care if your kids are three. Bring them. Guess what? Kids need to hear about missions. Amen? Kids need to know there is a need around the world greater than them just getting Cocoa Puffs or Rice Krispie Treats, right? They need to know that. They need to see the bigness and the lostness of the world and the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. We're asking you to come and be a part of a missions conference and to give. And we're asking you to surrender your heart. And we're asking you just to be open for a week to what God might say to your heart about reaching the world with the message of the gospel. So I want to ask you this morning, are you ready to go beyond the borders? Are you ready to step up and step out and take a risk in your life to do what God has actually called you to do?